0: To a one-hour election edition of Perspectives. I'm Joan Herman. On today's show, I interview candidates for the Oregon House of Representatives, District 32, in the May 15th primary election. District 32 covers the northwestern chunk of Oregon, including Klatsop and tillamook counties and the westernmost portion of Washington County. Incumbent Deborah Boone is not seeking re-election. Three Democratic challengers are vying for their party's nomination to run in the November general election. Tim Josie of Tillamook County and John Orr and Tiffany Mitchell, both of Clatsop County. Another Tillamook County resident, Brian Halverson, is running as an independent. Benita Lauer of Seaside is running unopposed for the Republican nomination. In the first half hour, I speak with Halverson and Josie, followed by Mitchell and Orr. In the second half hour, Lauer declined to be interviewed. This program was pre-recorded. Now for the first House District 32 candidate, Brian Halverson. Brian Halverson, a 25-year-old independent from Rockaway, is a community organizer with North Coast Progressives, an activist organization he founded to address issues that he says the two major political parties ignore. He previously has worked in retail sales, In the spirit of 2016 presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, he will not accept donations from corporations or large organizations, instead taking only small contributions from individuals. He graduated from Benson Polytechnic High School in Portland, where he studied radio broadcasting, and he attended Clark College in Vancouver for two years studying history. Welcome to the studio, Brian.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Would you tell me a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for office.
1: Sure, well, like you said, um, I founded North Coast Progressives uh, a little over a year ago now, um, with the intention of bringing about change that I think the two major parties ignore. And um, how I came to do that was I moved to Rockaway Beach in 2015 uh, by way of Portland. My, my uh, family's originally from Portland, but we have North Coast roots. We have a family homestead in Clatsop County. Uh, that we go to regularly. We host uh, annual family reunions there. So I'm very familiar with the area. But it just came to be a point where um, Portland got to be too expensive for me. Uh, my parents actually moved out here uh, in 2014, and I followed them the year after that. So uh, what I when I moved here, there was a lot of potential for, uh, I think, a thriving community here on the coast. And uh, that's why I'm running. I'm, I'm really hoping to uh, promote the... Um, the North Coast as a viable uh, place to live for people of all all ages.
0: What specific issues would you like to tackle if elected?
1: Well, I call my uh, issues that I'm running on, I have a comprehensive platform on my, my website, but the big three I talk about are campaign finance reform, uh, environmental justice, and then um, economic fairness. And uh, the last one first, economic fairness, that means uh, progressive taxation. That means the top 1% who earn a tremendous amount, who have a record amount of the wealth, uh, should be paying their fair share, I think. And it also means that corporations, businesses in Oregon who, according to independent analysis from the Oregon Center for Public Policy, pay the lowest uh, tax cost in Oregon. So uh, I think that for my progressive agenda, we're going to need ways to raise revenue. Uh, That's always a question that's asked when we talk about progressive policies, how are you going to pay for it? So that's why I I start with number one with taxation, is that we need to uh, shift the burden from working people to uh, wealthy people. And then economic justice is simply, we can't keep uh, putting fossil fuels into the atmosphere. We've got to cease uh, building pipelines like the LNG pipeline, which is uh, going to export fuels from Oregon coast. It's not even for using uh, those fuels here. And uh,
0: that's in Coos Bay?
1: That's in Coos Bay. And of course, Clatsop uh, County residents might remember a similar proposal oh, yeah. in around 2007. And uh, believe it or not, that was that was supposed to go through um, my family homestead. So that's actually what kind of started me down the path of environmentalism is uh, and learning about pipelines, learning about how often they leak, about how uh, mm-hmm. unsafe they can be, about the construction of them and Um, They say there's a lot of jobs uh, associated with them. That's not necessarily the case. Um, There are when it comes to constructing it, but there's no long-term jobs there, unfortunately. So I think we need to look at a green energy technology program. Wind and solar are available right now. We can implement them right now to uh, break ourselves off of fossil fuels. And then we can invest in Oregon's university system to pioneer new green technologies.
0: And you also mentioned campaign finance reform.
1: This is very important because uh, people, working class people, cannot afford oftentimes to run for office. Uh, It's not just that they have a job sometimes that they can't afford the time to do it. It's that they actually, uh, Oregon legislative elections are extremely expensive because we have no limits uh, statewide on how much you can donate uh, to a campaign. So that means in a a statewide campaign, Uh, Phil Knight, for example, could donate over a million dollars to Newt. Founder
0: of Nike. Founder of Nike,
1: yes. uh, Can donate over a million dollars to Newt Bueller. Uh, Recently, George Soros, who is a a billionaire, um, he donated money to Kate Brown. So we're seeing sort of a race towards the billionaires, race towards rich people. And what that's going to do is certainly affect policy and leave out working class people in uh, the uh, uh, agenda of the two major parties. So I think it's important that we limit money, the amount you can give, and limit the expenditures a campaign can spend. And there's also just simple things, very, very simple things that we've actually had here in Oregon, like disclosure laws uh, that we can put back in place.
0: District 32 covers a large area with a diverse constituency, politically speaking. How would you represent such a varied constituency when People often have widely divergent views, especially on issues such as the environment.
1: Well, um, you look at the polling on issues, and um, we think you know, we think back to 2016 and the uh, polarization of that election. Uh, even before that, 2012 um, and past elections have been very polarizing. But the American people agree on a lot. They agree that. Um, Uh, wealthy people uh, should not be getting tax breaks, that they shouldn't, that working people should be getting the tax breaks, that um, our uh, education system is failing and that we need to increase uh, funding in education. So across the board, when you poll people, they actually take pretty progressive views, even if they consider themselves conservative or liberal or live in a rural environment or live in a urban environment. So I think it's a matter of getting out there to the people and explaining uh, the policies uh, that I, I believe and asking them, well, do you agree with it? And I think I, I certainly have a um, bit of a hindrance running as an independent, but that's one of the areas where I think I have a benefit is people don't just disregard Democrat or Republican right away. Uh, they might be more open to listening to what someone from outside of that system is, has to say as opposed to just already have their preconceived notions about what their party believes.
0: Aside from the fact that you are running as an independent, what sets you apart from the other candidates?
1: Well, um, first, I tried to take a very comprehensive approach approach on my platform. Uh, day one, when I got in, I wanted to start with policies. So uh, I started with a comprehensive economic platform, like we've talked about uh, environmental policy. But there are also other issues that I think are very important, particularly um, with the way our state has treated um, prisoners and um, mentally ill people in uh, hospitals, in state prisons. I think there are um, certain things in terms of uh, Native American uh, issues that we can, that we need to work harder on. Particularly the issue of assisting tribes become federally recognized, uh, getting the state assistance in uh, legal matters, and and just simply sharing information across. Um, tribal regions and with the state uh, law enforcement agencies and all the different agencies. So I think that uh, coming from this from an independent perspective, I think it, it gives me a little bit of a different uh, viewpoint because I, I don't feel like I've got to be lockstep and barrel with a particular party. I, I feel like I can uh, maybe be a little bit more bold on my ideas and um, offer some ideas that the other two parties ignore.
0: If you are elected, what is a specific project that you'd like to tackle? Say maybe on day one.
1: Oh, day one—that's uh, a good question. Um, certainly, I would uh, be interested in looking at the bills that were put forward in this past legislature and uh, looking at a way to uh, bring those back. There was a there was a cap and trade bill that I think would be very important. Uh, what that would do is uh, cap carbon outputs in the uh, by certain industries. And um, then you could, if you go over that, then you can find a way to either trade that, or if you have gone under that, then you can trade that to another industry. And that would really help with the levels of uh, carbon dioxide in our our uh, atmosphere. And that's something that is very urgent, that is not going to go away, that we can, you know, stick our head in the sand about. But it's an important issue that, uh, again, I think is one of those issues that the two major parties, uh, may pay lip service to, but don't actually tackle when it comes to substantive policies.
0: Getting back to the environment, many people in the area that you would represent believe that timber is a resource and it should be used. It provides revenues for our schools, so therefore, that might they would be at odds, perhaps, with an environmental agenda.
1: Uh, you would think, but um, you know, uh, there are a lot of people in our area that understand that there is a conservation side to the timber industry. Because let's say you cut uh, like they did in the recession where you cut a large amount of timber. Then you don't have the timber there for good times, for the times when the prices are up. So there's certainly things that we can be doing in regulating um, the market so that it's, it's more constant, so that jobs are more consistent uh, in, in the industry and while also taking a conservationist approach from it too. And with new technologies in uh, timber in in particular, you know, they're talking about wood skyscrapers, they're talking about uh, durable wood, they're talking about using uh, what used to be considered scrap wood for important projects. Um, There's ways that we can pioneer new technologies in timber that I don't think it would be going anywhere. We would just be making it a lot safer and a lot more sustainable.
0: You are young. How would you respond to somebody who would say you don't yet have the experience to run for office?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I really can't argue that I don't have political experience, but I would argue that the political experience for some people is a bit of a hindrance. Um, we have a, a system right now in place uh, where, like I said, I think both major parties ignore um, issues that are important to working people.
0: What would be some examples of
1: those? Um, Like uh, with uh, taxation, Um, we had, uh, unfortunately, elected Democrats we saw for the um, uh, tax on gross sales on the ballot that wouldn't come out and support that. Um, And I think you need to have uh, you need to put forward proposals and then you need to defend those proposals. So I think it's important that um, that, again, like I said, uh, taking an approach as an independent, I would be. Uh, going after issues that are oftentimes left by the sidelines.
0: Can you give more examples of that?
1: Yeah. Um, one of the uh, policies on my website, too, which I've actually gotten a lot of pushback for, is um, legalizing and regulating sex work. And um, the idea is, obviously, prostitution is illegal right now. Um, but there are crimes wrapped into sex work that, we that unfortunately, law enforcement, because prostitution is illegal can't separate out. So assaults or um, even, you know, something a lot worse. I mean, there have been serial killers who specifically prey on sex workers. So we need to do more to protect uh, people in our society. And I think that would include um, legalizing, regulating it, having people register uh, and having people, um, you know, uh, you know, it it it's not a it's not a. Uh, something that either the two major parties tackle because it's not a pretty issue to talk about, but I think it's very important. At the end of the day, it is it is something that the least of us in our society uh, we need to uh, help. So similar to what Nevada has done, absolutely similar to what Nevada has done, and um, and I, I think that there could be more protection for um, individuals who uh, who participate in uh, sex work. So uh, in terms of uh, registering or, uh, STD screenings. Uh, there's plenty that, that, that could and should be done to, uh, protect everyone.
0: Unfortunately, we are, sorry, let me start that again. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you for coming into the studio today, Brian, and talking about your candidacy.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: If you're just joining me, you are listening to a special one-hour election edition of Perspectives on Coast Community Radio. I'm Joan Herman. On today's show, I'm interviewing candidates for the Oregon House of Representatives, District 32, in the May 15th primary election. I just concluded an interview with Independent Brian Halverson of Rockaway. Up next is my interview with Democrat Tim Josie. Tim Josie, a 67-year-old Democrat from Bay City, has served as a full-time Tillamook County Commissioner, a paid position, since 1999. He previously served in the Oregon House of Representatives from 1991 through 1998. He has held seats on the Oregon Land Conservation and Development Commission and the Oregon Seismic Safety Policy Advisory Commission, among others. He previously owned and operated a landscaping company as well. He earned a bachelor's degree in Recreation Management from Oregon State University. Welcome to the studio, Tim.
2: It's nice to be back.
0: Why are you running for office again?
2: Well... (laughs) be facetious, start off, no fool like an old fool. Um, well, this is my 20th year as a, as a Tillamook County Commissioner. Uh, when I was in the legislature, I was I left because of term limits and ran for County Commissioner. Thoroughly enjoyed that, but 20 years is enough, um, and it's time to let somebody else take over my spot, although I've loved the position and I enjoy it. And Debbie Boone, when I was in the legislature, used to work for me, and so she encouraged me to run, and she and I had a meeting and. She said that she was not going to run, and so she and uh, Betsy Johnson, State, uh, State Senator Betsy Johnson, both encouraged me to run, and so I agreed to do so. Um, I think I have a lot to offer. I know how to work collaboratively with uh, people on both sides of the aisle. I know how to uh you know, solve complex issues. I have a history of doing that. And so I think I have an awful lot to uh, to offer. Uh, when, um, as a county commissioner, I was up until recently very heavily involved with the National Association of Counties. Uh, I was on the board of directors and then segued into uh, the executive team uh, uh, on the National Association of Counties, and I represented the 15 Western states. And so, uh, and then I also served for three years with the same association, uh, chairing the Public Land Steering Committee. So I represented the nation's counties' public lands issues, and so I have a broad spectrum of. Uh, background and experience and I think that I can bring back to the legislature. Uh, I think I was a pretty good legislator the last time around. This time I think that I'd be much better. You know, I know how it works uh, and I've passed a number of bills that I'm very proud of and uh, I would hit the ground running.
0: What do you see as the biggest challenge facing District 32 and possibly the state of Oregon as well?
2: Well, two different answers. <clears throat> well, the, the first answer is House District 32, all coastal communities, and t- including the state of Oregon. Uh, we're facing a real housing crisis. Uh, uh, throughout Oregon and here along the Oregon coast, we have uh, we have situations where conditions where a school district or the Tillamook County Creamery Association or the Tillamook PUD uh, in Tillamook County, uh, uh, those are or the hospital in Tillamook County, they w- they'll hire somebody and pay you know offer them a really good paying job. They come to the county and they can't find. Affordable housing, or what I what we call workforce housing, and so this this is a this is what really a nationwide epidemic. Uh, but the counties and the legislature, uh, you know, in Oregon, we need to tackle this problem head on and find ways to create affordable housing. And we have a transient lodging tax uh, that the legislature allows, but the problem is is that um, we can only keep 30% of that, and the rest goes to tourism promotion, which is a good thing. But we've got all the tourism that we really need right now, and we need to have more than the 30%. For Tillamook County, we take the 30% and and then use that uh, to pave roads. And so it's going to a good use. But we'd like to take that 30% to maybe 50% and then take that other 20% and uh, create affordable housing and, you know, and, and subsidize affordable housing. Housing, uh, and only the legislature can do that. We've tried to do this in the past, uh, and um, we haven't been successful. Um, and but if I'm on the inside as a legislator, I think I've got a good chance of getting. <coughs> excuse me, of getting something like that passed.
0: What other issues would you like to tackle when you're elected, if you are elected?
2: Oh, I'll go with when I'm elected. <laughs> so, I'll uh, well. Uh, the biggest issue that's facing the state, and it's it was there when I, when I was there, uh, we have a taxing system that uh, is really one sided. you know, we ideally you'd want three legs to a stool. We have one leg to a stool, and that's the income tax. The income tax is, goes from rich to lean to rich to lean. And so when you're rich, uh, the legislature spends the money. And when you're lean, the legislature uh, has to make pretty massive cuts. And so it just happens. It's a cyclical thing. It happens all of the time. We need to find a way to balance that out. I don't think that we should raise any more money than what we're getting now, but we need other taxing systems. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but when I was in the legislature, I voted to refer a, a, a sales tax to the voters. And we spent the whole session working on that so that uh, we wouldn't tax food and, and that sort of thing, so that the people that would be really constrained uh, wouldn't be impacted by a sales tax. So it took a lot of time getting this thing nailed down and, uh, and to something that was palatable. We got it. We finally got it passed with one vote. Uh, and that was Tony Federici from Columbia County. He finally changed his vote to a yes and we got it passed. And then it went to the voters and it went down two to one. So um I don't think a sales tax tax is is an option, but there needs to be other uh options that we ought to look at. I think we need to take another look at um what were uh, at our corporate tax. Our corporate tax went when I was in the legislature maybe before it was about they paid about fifteen percent, and now it's down to I think seven percent. And so, you know, we don't we don't want to do something that's going to hurt our our businesses and our big corporations. But some of these are multi a million multinational corporations; they can afford to pay more. And so, I I think that's something why I look at. So,
0: timber covers a big chunk of your district, mm-hmm. definitely in Clatsop and Tillamook counties. And Clatsop County has approximately 150,000 acres of state forest lands. And last year, the Clatsop County Commission voted to opt out of the Linn County class action lawsuit Mm -hmm. that favors maximizing timber harvesting in state forests. And the county commission did so, according to Scott Lee, the chairman, because he said he received overwhelming public opinion against uh, the maximized harvesting approach. Mm. And then this past week, the commission voted not to pay over $15,000 in annual dues to a county association that oversees the Forest Trust Lands Advisory Commission, which you have chaired for a number of years. county commission mm-hmm. have again said they felt that their um, position was not being adequately represented. So how would you respond to local voters who disagree with the approach to maximizing timber harvest?
2: Well, okay, boy. I wish we had more time. I'd love to spend a half hour on this issue. Um, you know, the term "maximizing timber harvest" is is not a correct statement. Uh, but what I would say is the timber harvest needs to be uh, increased. The Department of Forestry takes two thirds of the revenues out of the timber receipts for all state forest trust lands, including Tillamook and Clatsop in Washington and Columbia and a number of others. Uh, they they keep a third of that to manage these forests on our behalf. They're not Raising enough money to stay solvent they're going to go broke in twenty twenty in other words that's when they're going to run out of their reserves so they need to increase timber harvest uh in a in a responsible way and when i when you think about maximizing timber harvest you'd think a private timber company maximized timber harvest in, in through the forest practices act uh, we don't come we don't want to come anywhere near that for the three northwest districts if you looked at maximizing timber harvest it would be be about three hundred and fifty million board feet per year uh, we would be happy with what we were promised when the current forest management plan was adopted which was two hundred and seventy nine million board feet per year that's sixty million board feet per year year that we were willing to give up for the greater good and for environmental purposes. But the department is closer to 180 million board, or the harvest level for, for the big three districts is closer to 180 million uh, board feet per year. So that's what we're really trying to do, uh, is uh, make the department more solvent or solvent and, and therefore, and by doing so, increasing uh, the, the revenues to not just county governments, but cities. Uh, schools, not cities, but schools and special districts. In Tilma County, schools get 62% of the revenue that comes to the county. We get 28%, and then the balance goes to special districts. It's got to be pretty close to the same here. So the reason... Uh, Lynn County filed a class action lawsuit, and 14 out of the 15 counties joined that class action lawsuit. Except for Clatsop County. Except for Clatsop County, and the reason why is because when the greatest permanent the the term greatest permanent value had had been used an association for state forest lands for decades. And you know, it's just as soon as we started deeding these lands to the state to be managed on our behalf. At that time, throughout the history, greatest permanent value was was broadly understood to be uh, to produce timber revenues for the the benefit of the cities, schools, and special districts within the fifteen counties. And then in the late eighties the, uh, the the board of forestry defined greatest permanent value as th- as as a three-legged stool: environment, social, and economic. And at that point in time, harvest levels dropped substantially. And so the Lin County lawsuit, they said, all right, from that point forward, uh, what is the delta, or what what was lost in terms of revenues, not just for counties, but you know, for schools and special districts, and they came up uh, with a figure of $1.4 billion. Now, they came to Tillamook County first. We turned them down because we really thought that the uh, Board of Forestry was going to fix this problem because they're going broke. Well, they didn't. In the meantime, Lynn County, they went to Lynn County, they filed a lawsuit, and by that time, I was ready to join the lawsuit on behalf of Tillamook County because they can't make a decision at the Board of Forestry. If they could just act responsibility, this lawsuit would not have been. Uh, there would not have been a need for this lawsuit. I've been accused by people, some of the environmental community, uh, and uh, um, uh, well, the environmental community that with the Democrats in Tillamook and Clatsop counties being too close to the timber industry and and they see that as a negative thing. What I my response to them is I'm close to the people that work for the timber industry. Uh they these folks make about $50,000 plus a year including benefits. And this is a very important part of the economic bake basis or ba, uh, basis in Tillamook and Clatsop County. And if we shut down the timber industry and and, and create services like ecotourism, which is talked about by a number of these folks. Uh, I'm not sure what ecotourism is, but whatever it is, it's a service sector job. And the latest data from, from the Oregon Employment uh, department, uh, is it shows that, and this was back in 2015, that the average service sector job per, uh, pays about $22,000 a year. You can't make a living doing that.
0: Tim, aside from what you've already stated, what sets you apart from the other candidates running for this position?
2: Well, uh, the experience by um, more than anything else, I I know my way around the Capitol. And not only that, I served uh, Clatsop County uh, uh, as a legislator for uh, almost eight years. When I first got started uh, Clatsop County wasn't in my district, but seven of the eight years I served uh, Clatsop County. I didn't serve Astoria, uh, but I was there all of the time. So I have the experience. I know the issues. I know the people. And I'm ready to go to work solving problems, not just at the Capitol, but here locally. And so I've been reacquainting myself with the key players in the the county so that when they have an issue and they need somebody to talk to, they can give me a call.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you for coming into the studio today, Tim.
2: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: If you're just joining me, you are listening to a special one-hour election edition of Perspectives on Coast Community Radio. I'm Joan Herman. On today's show, I'm interviewing candidates for the Oregon House of Representatives, District 32, in the May 15th primary election. I just concluded an interview with Democrat Tim Josie of Bay Center. Up next is my interview with Democrat Tiffany Mitchell. Tiffany Mitchell, a 34-year-old Democrat from Astoria, is a case management coordinator for the Child Welfare Division for the Oregon Department of Human Services and previously worked for the state of Utah. She has been active with the North Coast Indivisible Organization, a progressive grassroots organization, and is an Astoria Precinct Committee Chairperson. She recently helped advocate for publishing voters pamphlets for all county elections, which the Clatsop County Board of Commissioners has agreed to do. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Film Studies from the University of Utah, and a Master's degree in Business Administration from Western Governors University, an online institution. Welcome to the studio, Tiffany.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Joan.
0: Tell me a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for office.
3: Uh, so I'm running for office because I'm a working class Oregonian. And I really supported Melissa Ousley when she was in this whole running before, um, because I think she really represented for not just me, but for a whole lot of people, a whole class of folks that feel like no matter how much we try to work and, and do our best and, and have a better life, We don't really seem to go anywhere. And uh, when she dropped out of the race, I kind of felt like that voice was lost. And after talking to a whole bunch of people and uh, trying to see if anyone else um, really wanted to jump in this race, um, and for various reasons other people couldn't, I'm the type of person to where if I see a problem that needs to be fixed, I definitely put my mind to it and try to fix it myself. And seeing that there was that void in values in a values based candidate that I really supported, um, I had other people supporting me in the decision to run, and so I decided to do it. So that's why I'm here.
0: What do you see as the biggest challenges facing District 32, which actually covers a fairly diverse area Tillamook, Clatsop, and parts of Washington counties, as well as Oregon in general?
3: Um, So biggest issues, and a lot of this um, comes from just knocking on doors, because I've been knocking on doors and talking to a lot of our friends and neighbors, trying to figure out what really resonates with folks. Um, One huge issue, of course, is going to be the environment. Um, I know that there's a lot of concern in this district for... um, forestry issues and wanting to make sure that our forests are protected, especially in light of the Lynn County lawsuit. Um, even though Clatsop has opted out of that lawsuit, there's concerns that that could have far-reaching implications even for our district, um, because North Tillamook is a part of that as well, and they're still in the lawsuit. So that's one huge issue and other issues too, just from talking to folks. Um, Surprisingly, a lot of people don't talk about the forestry issue. And I think that's because in their own little insular experience, um, people are really worried about housing affordability in this area. They're worried about their healthcare costs and they're worried about education. Um, Education for me in Oregon is a huge deal just because we don't fund it appropriately, and I think that would be an understatement. How should it be funded? Uh, so I think we should look at trying to aid a couple uh, education as much as we can from timber harvest, um, and look at trying to get some of the biggest community members in our community, and this would be all across Oregon, uh, large corporations to be paying their fair share. According to some statistics I saw, about 94% of taxes in the state of Oregon are paid by regular folks like you and me and small businesses. And when you have, you know, the Walmarts of the world coming into Oregon, Nike and and Comcast and, and all of those folks, they really should be helping our community, I think, as much as they're benefiting from us. And so I really stand in terms of when we're talking about trying to fund education and other services, um, that we try to get those folks to pay their fair share so that we can have less of a burden on the general fund uh, so that we can adequately fund our other services and uh, get money that way, too. So
0: So increasing taxes on large corporations.
3: That's one of my positions, uh, yes. And 97, which I think was a good start and had its heart in the right place, Um, probably would have benefited from looking at, like, a differential uh, tax structure a little bit because I know that uh, one of the big issues they were talking about fixing, assuming it had passed, was looking at, like, utilities um, because utilities can pass along that cost to poorer folks and that would disproportionately affect them. So I think that if we were to try to do something again or try to craft legislation that would either pass overwhelmingly in the legislature so that it wouldn't have to go to the ballot— Um, or if it was gonna go to the ballot, something that would be fair. And I think for us to accomplish that, we need to get a lot of people to sit down at the table, but ultimately, uh, where my values are is, we need to be asking people to to pay their fair share to help support our community.
0: What sets you apart from the other candidates running for office for this specific position?
3: So what sets me apart, so uh, I have heard both candidates talk about both democratic candidates both democratic candidates pardon me i've heard my opponents discuss their positions and one of the reasons that i supported melissa's i had heard her positions as well and between the three of them melissa just clearly represented both mine and a lot of other people's values so when she dropped out and i felt like that wasn't really there anymore um what sets me apart, I think, would be the things that Melissa added to this race, which was very strong values and positions that don't change depending on uh, what group of people you're talking to. And just being forthright and 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 honest and in the race for the right reasons.
0: Can you give examples of some of those values that you yourself share?
3: Um, so I, I'm, I mentioned that I'm a working class Oregonian. And I think for a lot of people in this district, when they're looking for someone to relate to and somebody that shares those experiences, I still work full time, I still have to worry about paying a mortgage, I still pay student loans every single month, and those costs are are pretty crippling. And for a lot of people who struggle in this district, um, I think they're really coming across a lot of the same issues. They're wondering how they're going to rob Peter to pay Paul to afford their own their own housing costs, how they're going to fit in their medical costs on top of that. There are folks who have to consider whether or not they're going to pay their their housing costs over food. Um, There are people who are worried that they might lose their homes over medical costs, and people who just simply don't have enough food to eat. So even though I I obviously don't um, land on every single level of that, I think that I certainly understand the struggle of the working-class person because that's who and where I am myself. And I think we need more people in Salem who represent folks that don't normally get to office.
0: In light of those challenges that you just mentioned for working-class folks, what would you as a legislator do to help them?
3: Um, So there are a couple things that we can do. Um, On the housing affordability issue, which is one of my stances, um, <clears throat> pardon me. When my husband and I first moved here, we were really struck with how expensive uh, not only real estate is here, but if you were renting, uh, you know, you're talking twelve to $1,400 for an apartment, and a regular person just can't afford that. So as a legislator, I know on the state level, there are laws that prevent counties and min- municipalities from stabilizing their own rent markets. And so I would be on the side of, you know, voting to try to make it easier for that to happen. Um, other things for working people, uh, there's a Supreme Court case going through the Supreme Court right now called Janus versus versus AFSME. We think it's going to pass, unfortunately, and uh, it's going to make it really hard for, for workers to organize in unions. So I'm not 100% sure what we here in the state of Oregon can, can do, but we can certainly make payroll deductions an easier thing to have happen because I know we want to make it as easy for people as possible to join unions because um, that raises wages for everybody and uh, makes sure the benefits stay competitive and good. And So that those are just a couple things. And then on top of that, uh, with education, I would definitely also be on the side of raising revenue as opposed to trying to uh, look at what we've just been doing this whole time for trying to fund education.
0: When you moved to Oregon two years ago, did you ever envision you'd be running for public office?
3: Um, It's actually been a little bit longer than two years. We've been here almost three years now. Um i never envisioned that i would run for public office honestly i mean i've always been involved in politics when i lived back in utah um, i was involved a lot with uh, the fight to uh, prevent federal interests from uh well the state interests, pardon me from taking land back from the federal government that's an ongoing fight that i i oppose because they really want to just sell it to private interests and and drill and, and destroy our beautiful national parks um so in terms of where I want, it, where I'd like to be in terms of running for office, it's not something I imagine myself doing, but it's an important thing to do. And I'm really lucky that I have the support of so many people behind me. Um, SEIU, my union through my work, supports me, asks me, Winpac, which is a, a group that supports first-time women runners who uh, are are uh, in favor of protect, protecting reproductive rights for women. Um, the Sierra Club, the Oregon League of Conservation Voters, and then uh, OEA, the Teachers Union all support me. So in addition to the community that I have felt a lot of enthusiasm from to have all of those groups endorse me, even though it's not something I ever imagined myself doing, I'm really encouraged to have that kind of support. And I'm, I'm ultimately happy that I'm doing it. And I'm ultimately happy that I'm here. District
0: 32 covers the northwest chunk of Oregon Mm -hmm. and has residents who have fairly different views on the best ways to handle the environment, taxation, uh, bringing jobs to the area. How does a representative adequately represent an area with such diverging viewpoints?
3: Um, So I think it's really important that regardless of of differing viewpoints of how we're going to do something, um, the first key is to realize that At the end of the day, a lot of us really do all want the same thing. We all want to have a good roof over our heads. None of us want to lose our house over uh, medical costs. We all want a really good education for our kids. So I think if we are able to come to the table, a bunch of people with different viewpoints, and really talk about, first, what do we want, we'll find that a lot of the outcomes we want are the same. And from there, it's just about talking about the best way to do it. Um, I, like I said, kind of tend to take a hard line on, on how I think uh, it should go. But I'm not not open to compromise. I'm not, not open to trying to find solutions that make everybody happy. Um, so I, I think that in terms of my approach to talking with people is just getting people out. Let's talk about what our values are and what, where we want to end up. And I think we'll eventually get there.
0: Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you for coming into the studio today, Tiffany, and talking about your candidacy.
3: Oh, No problem. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you're just joining me, you're listening to a special one-hour election edition of Perspectives on Coast Community Radio. I'm Joan Herman. On today's show, I'm interviewing candidates for the Oregon House of Representatives, District 32, in the May 15th primary election. I just concluded an interview with Democrat Tiffany Mitchell of Astoria. Up next is my interview with the final Democratic candidate, John Orr. John Orr, a 61-year-old Democrat from Astoria, has worked as an attorney in private practice for some 24 years, handling criminal, family, and contract law, among other legal areas. He has served as the Gearhart Municipal Judge since 1997. He is a musician and also has worked as the project development manager for Trails and Recovery, a warranton firm that recycles forest products and restores salmon habitat. He holds a bachelor's degree in planning and economics from the University of Arizona in Tucson and a law degree from Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland. Welcome to the studio, John.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: Why don't we start by you telling me why you're running for office?
4: I'm running for office because I think after a lifetime of work in the law and learning about people and the problems of this community, I'm finally ready, and undertaking um, a pursuit of public office, it's a large undertaking, and to go further and to undertake the responsibilities of a state representative, a representative of the people, is an even more grave and serious undertaking. And fully grasping the gravity of such a decision, and those responsibilities, uh, I feel ready and I'm eager to serve.
0: Is this your first time running for public office?
4: This is the first time I've run for public office. And I should further elaborate on that. your first question is, I'm running for public office not only because I'm ready and eager to serve, it's because I feel my background in the law, uh, which basically goes including my... Uh, clerking experience of th- over 30 years, has really prepared me for to do the work of a legislator who, after all, a legislator and a legislature passes laws, they, they write laws, they interpret laws uh, that they are contemplating changing, which all uh, is tailor-made for an indiv- individual of my background and experience. I'm also running because of the specific problems that we face. Would you like me to elaborate on some of yes, those? Yes, please. Well, there's many of them, but first and foremost is the 1.6 billion dollar budget deficit. Um, I, I, you know, I never used to think of myself uh, as a conservative in any fashion, whether in the clothes I wear or the music I listen to or the the clothes I dress. But I think fiscal conservatism is an important idea because history has shown that governments that do not live within their limits. Create even bigger problems down the road. And this exporting our problems to the future, kicking the can down the road, whether it was the decisions on, on PERS 20 year, more years ago. The Public Employee bu- Retirement System. Yes, or the decisions uh, that are being made in Washington, D.C. We cannot keep putting our future, our, our services, our education, our infrastructure on a credit card because eventually there won't be any more money. I'll give you an example. The Department of Education of the state of Oregon, I think they had an increase in their budget because Oregon had a good year, more revenues of about maybe 15%. And and nevertheless, in school districts, uh, Kaiser and Salem and Bend and Portland, um, there are school districts which are cutting teachers. We already have one of the shortest, if not the shortest number of school days per year per student. We already have... Uh, one of the lowest graduates, if graduation rates of any. Now, despite the fact that we had a good year, despite the fact that the legislature appropriated uh, 15% more, it's the largest appropriation they've ever done, the actual money that went to education, the, the task of teaching our children and pre- preparing them for, for the future economically and as citizens of a democracy, um, it went downhill because there was a 45% increase in, in the PERS obligation that had to be serviced because of an unfunded, unfunded uh, pension program. But we need st- to address that.
0: The st- how does the state get out of that? Because those are contracts that can't just be broken, aren't they?
4: Th- that's exactly right. Uh, and there have been uh, two or three decisions, most recently Morrow versus Oregon, which uh, concluded that Oregon does not have any basis for negating those contracts. And furthermore, they shouldn't be negated. A deal is a deal. It didn't happen... Uh, you know, in a, in a vacuum, I, the most regrettable part of it is the assumptions that the negotiators uh, used to uh, uh, form the basis for the pensions that would be given. They assumed a seven and a half percent return,
0: and these are retirement plans for state employees.
4: Yes, and they assumed the retirement plans and the investments that fund the plant would increase at seven and a half to eight percent. And in fact, <laughs> it's a more like six point two percent. And then with the, the pension fund value itself went down 27% in 2009. So that's a problem that needs to be addressed, and it's not going to be easy, and people are going to feel the pain. But, you know, we we got to pull together and think about the children here. we got to think maybe everybody should chip in. Everybody's looking out for their own interest. Now, that brings to the question, how do we do that? How do we eliminate the deficit? Well, the way we do that is look around, say, who's doing well in Oregon? And it's, not, it's clearly not the middle class. They're disappearing. It's clearly not the working poor. They're working more jobs than ever. It's the wealthy. It's the corporations. The corporate taxation rates and income were 18.6% in the mid-1980s. Now they're 6.5%, 6.6%. They've gone down almost a third. Same deal. Their property taxes went down. Now, that's not right because they're using more, at least as much if not more, of the The natural resources of our state, our water, our air, our our employees from our schools, they are using our roads, our police, they're certainly using our courts, they're using our political system, and they need to chip in, they need to pay up, it's in their interest, but because they're not persons, even though the law mistakenly recognizes them as persons, with all its consequences, like no limits on campaign spending by corporations... They need to pay their share. There's no other way around it because everybody else is being, you know, rung dry.
0: So you would advocate for increasing corporate taxes?
4: I, absolu- I absolutely would. There is no other way to do it. We just cannot keep cutting and cutting and cutting. And, you know, if we have a more educated workforce, if we have better services, that will benefit those very same corporations. They need to give back. The people have given and given. And now uh, there's frankly no other way, and anybody that doesn't confront this is diluted.
0: Explain what sets you apart from other candidates who are running against you.
4: Well, I think the most significant difference is that I'm independent. A lot of people talk about being the grassroots candidates, but I'm being supported by small donations of individuals. I'm not getting any corporate money. I'm not getting any support from the, the unions. I'm not getting support from the big interests in Portland. And I think those are important distinctions. I am from here... And I am only getting support from people that know me. People are from here. Those those others, you know, the the timber companies, the 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 unions, they don't know me. They don't know the work I've done. They don't know the struggles and that I've shared with my thousands of clients in Clatsop and Tillamook County. I know this place. They don't know me. They want their person, but I will be beholden to no one but my represent the people I represent.
0: How does your work as a criminal defense attorney inform your uh, role as a legislator if you are elected?
4: Well, of course, there are many, many criminal laws in the Oregon Revised Statutes, and I know the laws that come into question, uh, that that are challenged, and the effects they have on various things, such as the Fourth Amendment or... Our rights to privacy, uh, you know the, the the laws that affect when pol- people are stopped on the street or when they're stopped in their cars, uh, the forfeiture of a belongings pursuant to a, a criminal or civil proceeding. These are all areas of the criminal law, all areas I have dealt with. But let me be very clear on this: although I was a criminal defense attorney and did much indif- indigent defense, I never lost sight of my identity as a citizen wanting to live in a crime-free community. I never lost sense uh, and the sense of compassion for victims, for people who have been victims of crime. I've been a victim of crime several times, many times actually. Uh, You know, property theft, bicycles, assault, um, and, and members of my family have been victims. So to the extent that would concern anybody that need not I want to live in a safe and peaceful pl- peaceful place, but I also want the Constitution to be observed and protected and enforced.
0: What other issues are you passionate about?
4: I'm really passionate about uh, the coming crisis for uh, Clatsop County and Tillamook uh, in terms of infrastructure and emergency preparedness. First, infrastructure. Um, I read the Clatsop. Clatsop uh, Transportation System Plan. It's a 2015 document. It's available online uh, at, at the Clatsop County website. And it says two ways of looking at our needs for transportation planning. One is aspirational. The other is constraint. Aspirational allocates an estimated, though not solidified, $4 million for transportation, road bridges, pedestrian improvements, bicycle lanes, Over the next 20 years. That's right. $4 million over the next 20 years. The aspirational budget, which suggests these are things which are needed but can't fall in the same category of necessity, is $180 million. Now, those of you who know the intersection of Ensign entering where the Panda Express is and the Walmart and the box stores... That's going to get bad when the summer traffic hits. Gone when Walmart gets open. That's just an example of the kind of problems we're going to face, and the solutions for those problems are not cheap. So, um, infrastructure is near and dear to my heart. I've talked to Mayor Bell and Seifer and and others in Warrenton. I go to the Warrenton Coffee. Uh, 9 o'clock on Monday mornings, and they want money. They need money. They can't raise it through the property taxes because it's only increasing 3% per year, and so they got to look to the legislature. But the legislature seems, according to them, to place a greater priority on transportation funding going to the city of Portland. I'd like to see that change. I think that needs to to change, and um, I won't be timid about insisting upon it. And the other matter uh, relates to emergency preparedness. I read uh, a document, an audit, if you will, uh, from the Secretary of State uh, of the State of Oregon, Dennis Richardson, and it said that our emergency planning process in the state of Oregon is in disrepair and won't will not work. Uh, I wrote a letter to the editor of the Daily Astorian about that, and it was published. And uh, I we don't have time to go into it. Things are bad. I want I that's going to be on my big time watch list. What would you do? Well, the, the report says there needs to be better coordination between state, local, and federal agencies. I know they do the drill, or they've done the drills, but they haven't solved the problems. There needs to be a line of succession clearly demarked in, in the event of a 9.1 earthquake. There's going to be buildings and staff, personnel, and possibly leaders who will just not be available. They may not even be alive. So uh, that's that's something i looked into, but I don't think time doesn't permit exploration of that. If I may, there's one other issue that's sure. really important to me, and that is foster care. Another audit related uh, to foster care said that uh, social workers are getting burned out. We're losing foster homes and foster parents. Uh, there There's just not enough training and support, and there's mismanagement at the upper levels of DHS. And they are not the supporting... Department the Department of Human Services. Yes, and they are not supporting uh the people that are in the trenches i worked in that area 25 years that was a big part of my practice uh and you know getting there's not too many things more important for the courts to do than protect children get children's back to their parents who have have issues or get them on their way to foster parent and permanent placement so that one is big on my list both in terms of my personal experience and my personal values
0: Unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you, John, for coming into the studio and speaking about your candidacy.
4: Thank you. It's good to be back at KMUN.
0: And that concludes my interview with John Orr, one of three Democrats running for their party's nomination in the May 15th primary election. Republican Vanita Lauer of Seaside, who is running unopposed in the primary, declined to be interviewed. District 32 covers the northwestern chunk of Oregon, including Clatsop and Tillamook Counties and the westernmost portion of Washington County. incumbent Deborah Boone is not seeking re-election. Coming up on next week's show, I interview officials representing operating levies for the City of Warrington and the Clatsop Care Health District. It is too late to register to vote in the May 15th election. Ballots are being mailed to all registered voters between April 25th and May 1st. Ballots must be returned to an official drop box or the county clerk's office in Astoria no later than 8 p.m. on May 15th. Postmarks do not count. This is Perspectives, and I'm your host, Joan Herman. The show is brought to you in part by a grant from the Clatsop County Cultural Coalition. Perspectives was engineered today by Brian Bovenizer and Taylor Ford. The show can be heard Fridays on the stations of Coast Community Radio. You also can find show podcasts, on the station's website. If you would like to contact me, send me an email to perspectives at coastradio.org. Thanks for listening.